0: in the room on that side. Thank you. Golgotha, the epitome of death. A a hill shaped like a human skull. A garbage dump. A human garbage dump. A place of hopelessness. The stench of death. A place where curses were shrieked, agonies were moaned and dying gasps were heaved. A place where people were discarded. People no longer wanted or needed by society. Thieves, murderers, deceivers, all left to die. Three fresh crosses, three more for death to claim. It seemed a place to be even forgotten by God darkness three full hours of it it seemed even heaven gave up and then out of the darkness comes the cry my god my god why hast thou forsaken me and some more silence and then the cry teleho Not a cry of defeat or resignation, but a cry of victory, a cry of completion. The foe has been vanquished. It is finished. Then there was an earthquake, and the graves were opened. The saints arose. Death finally had met its match. I want to greet each of you in Christ's name and and welcome you to our communion service. I've shared numerous uh, communion messages and quite a few Easter messages, but I'm not quite sure that I've ever shared both on the same day. But this morning I have this privilege, and I really feel blessed to be able to do so. But it seems as we grow older in life, we begin to understand the brevity of it. As as, um, I remember at the the funeral of my last grandparent, I remember standing with dad before the fresh grave, and I remember dad saying to me, uh, he said, our generation is now next in line. One by one, death has, has laid its claim. It does so without partiality or discrimination. It claims both young and old. No age seems to be spared. It visits both the famous and the obscure. It cares not whether you are wealthy or poor. It visits those that are close to us and the unfamiliar. It never seems to rest. Every day as you read the obituary column, new name seems to appear. No one seems to be able to escape death's cold grasp. Recent passing of my nephew. i In a private viewing, I reached in and I touched his hands. I don't recall ever touching anyone deceased. The touch, it jarred me. It was very cold. No matter how great the work of a funeral director, death is still hideous and ugly. For some it's visitation is violent and brutal. For others it seems compassionate. For some it seems to come too early and we call it premature. For others it seems to come too late. They linger longing for it Enduring pain, perhaps the loss of memory, perhaps even the loss of mind. But it's coming. It's coming. What will death be like? A man named Dr. Marshall Goldberg has interviewed many patients who were resuscitated from cardiac arrest. And I quote, After the cessation of the heart, it still takes three or four minutes for the brain to die. And and certain patients, if interviewed before a rapidly developing amnesia, effaces the memory. These patients can relate what the experiences are like. He continues, for some it is surprisingly peaceful. As if a soundproof, pain-deadening curtain has descended over them. He adds, I now have heard similar descriptions from enough patients to accept it is almost the predictable result from a terminal lack of oxygen. One reported, many report flashbacks. It's called, one calling it an autobiographical slideshow, where you literally see your life in review before your very eyes. Dr. Raymond Moody Jr. in his book Life After Life writes, Despite the wide variation in the circumstances surrounding close calls with death, and in the types of persons undergoing them, it remains true there is a striking similarity among the accounts of the experiences themselves. In fact, the similarities among the various reports are so great that one can easily pick out about 15 separate elements which will recur again and again in the mass of narratives that I have collected On the basis of these points of likeness, let me reconstruct a brief, theoretical, complete experience which embodies all the elements. He continues, a man is dying, and as he reaches the moment of his greatest physical distress, he hears himself pronounced dead by his doctor. He begins to hear an uncomfortable noise, a loud ringing and a buzzing. At the same time, he feels himself moving rapidly down a long, dark tunnel. And after this, he suddenly finds himself outside his own physical body, but still in the immediate physical environment. He sees his own physical body from a distance as though he is a spectator. He watches the resuscitation attempt from this unusual vantage point and is in a state of emotional upheaval. And after a while, he collects himself and becomes accustomed to his odd condition. He notices he still has a body, but one of a very different nature, one with very different powers from the physical body he has left behind. Soon other things begin to happen. Others come to meet him and to help him. He glimpses the spirits of relatives and of friends who have already died. And a warm, loving spirit, a kind he has never aco- encountered before, a being of light, appears. This being asks him a question, nonverbally, verbally, to make him evaluate his life and, and helps him along by showing him a panoramic Instantaneous playback of the, ins- of the major events of his life. At some point he finds himself approaching some sort of a barrier or border. Apparently representing the limit between earthly life and the next life. And yet he finds he must go back to the earth. And that the time of his death is not yet come. At this point he resists. For by now he is taken up with his experience in the afterlife and does not want to return. He is overwhelmed by the intense feelings of joy, love, and peace. Despite his attitude, though, he somehow reunites again with his physical body and lives. Later he tries to tell others, but he has trouble doing so. In the first place, he cannot find human words adequate to describe the unearthly episodes. He also finds that others scoff, so he stops telling people. Still, the experience affects his life profoundly, especially his views of death and its relationship to life. End of quote. J. Kirby Anderson, in his book Life, Death, and Beyond, writes this. He says, Those who have been involved in the research of out of body experiences, OBE, have have noticed a very interesting phenomenon. Even when a person is having an OBE, he is still in contact with his physical body. He is attached to his body by the means of a cord. On one of his out-of-body experiences, Robert Monroe described looking for the cord which connected his physical body to his second body. Robert stated, I turned to look for the cord, but it was not visible to me. Either it was too dark or not there. Then I reached around my head to see if I could feel it coming out of the front, top, or back of my head. But as I reached the back of my head, my hands brushed against something, And I felt with both my hands, whatever it was, it extended from the spot in my back directly between my shoulder blades. I reached outward and it formed a cord. If you can call a two-inch thick cable, a cord. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 describes, he's talking about old age. But in that, in that description of old age, he describes a scene of death. Because a man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. And then notice what he says, or ever the silver cord is loosed. It was Peter Marshall who wrote that a person whose vision of death whose vision of death is earthbound is somewhat like a caterpillar who crawls along the warm earth imagining that heaven for him will be an endless row of cabbages. But occasionally you find the caterpillar whose vision is different. One who says, you know, one day I believe I will not have to crawl on the ground. But someday I'll be able to fly, and even more than that, I won't have to be puncturing cabbage leaves with neat little holes and stuffing myself full of green stuff. But one day I'll be sipping dew and living on honey. And he continues, in our superior wisdom, we know which caterpillar is right. We know that he goes to sleep a caterpillar, and he wakes up a butterfly. Then he asks two good questions says, do we know as much about our our own beautiful destinies after our body's long sleep? Do we think that our transformation will be any less beautiful and startling than the caterpillar into a butterfly? There are many people who avoid talking about death. And I'm not saying we ought to relish it or that that we ought to have a, a morbid fascination with it. But I really believe that as Christians, none of us should fear it. In fact, it is one of the things that made the testimonies of martyrs so amazing. There was absolutely no fear of death. As I awoke early Saturday morning, uh, the Lord impressed upon my heart to share something with you that That I've never shared. In fact I really d- haven't heard it shared in depth. And uh, I initially I resisted. Because I just didn't feel I was. Because I haven't been taught well. I just didn't think I would teach it. But I. But there are truths that I believe. J- Job and David understood. Things which happen. After death. And. And. Uh So some of the things I'm going to be sharing this morning come from my personal time, from the years I've spent studying the scriptures. And um, because I'm putting quite a few scriptures together from various parts of of the Bible, I'm a little hesitant because I prefer expositional where I just take a chapter and and it's safer ground. When When you take verses from different parts of scripture, it's easier to get into error. Nevertheless, because I feel prompted, I, I'm just going to share some of these things. And, and I want to open myself up to you. Um, if you find anything in Scripture that says otherwise, stick with Scripture. Stick with Scripture. Throughout the years, I've had a lot of questions concerning death. I've been curious about it. Upon death, where did the spirits of the saved go? And where do the lost go? Is there such a thing as soul sleep? You, because uh, the reason being, I've heard it taught, but not with scripture. Where is hell? Where is Sheol or, or Hades? And after the finished work of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, has it changed what, what happens after death? And the answer to that is a resounding, yes, it has. There's a big change that has taken place for the believer. I'm grateful to report that Jesus not only overcame sin, but he overcame death and hell. I loved how Phil Robertson, one of the actors on the hit show Duck Dynasty, put it there's someone pasted this testimony on on facebook and i loved how he put it this isn't verbatim but it's the gist of he said god dealt with our sin jesus paid it all but something still needed to be done with a six foot hole that i'm going into something still needed to be done about death and jesus did that in revelations chapter one we have John exiled on the Isle of Patmos and he is given a heavenly revelation of Jesus. I'm not going to read it because of the sake of for the sake of time but what I'm wanting to get to he he describes he says in, in verse 13 in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man clothed with a garment down to his foot and girt about it the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his eye his his head and his hairs were white like snow, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And I turned to the voice that spake unto me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks likened to the Son of Man. And his feet were like a fine brass, verse 15, and if they have as if they were burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had his, in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and I am he that liveth. And was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. And then notice, amen, I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus is holding the keys of hell and death. And there's only one way that Jesus could be holding those keys, and that is if he overcame it. Jesus overcame death and hell. Why is that so significant? Because those keys having overcame death and hell dramatically changes the sequence of events for the child of God after death for the believer. It changes the sequence of events for us. David understood this. He says in Psalm 1610, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now hell is not Gehenna. Hell is Sheol. It is the place of the dead. It is the subterranean underworld of the dead. David was saying, I'm confident, Lord, you will not leave me in Sheol. Before the finished work of the cross, believers and unbelievers alike went to Sheol. Before you write me off, I've got some more. There's there's a lot more coming. So where is Sheol, Hades, or hell? Where is it located at? I'll let Jesus answer this. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 38, the scribes and the Pharisees came to him. They wanted a sign from Jesus, Master. We would see a sign from thee. And he answered unto them, and An evil, adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall be no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And as Jonas was three days, three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in. the The heart of the earth Add to that what Peter says For Christ also hath once suffered for sins The just for the unjust That he might bring us to God Being put to death in the flesh But quickened by the spirit And notice what Peter says By which he also went And preached unto the spirits In prison Which were sometime were disobedient once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was uh, preparing. Weren't a few, that is an eight souls were saved by water. When Jesus put off his body, he was not finished. He went and he preached to the spirits in prison in the heart of the earth. The center of the earth, somewheres. Upon death, he descended into Sheol or Hades. The world world of the dead. And he preached to the spirits. Now, I'm not getting into what he preached. I'm just saying he went there. I just want to add, nowhere we taught there's repentance after death. Now, Paul equally says in in Ephesians, verse 9, Now he that ascended, what is it but that he, he asked the question, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He says in verse 10, For he that ascended is the same also that is ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, there are plenty of scriptures showing us that Jesus went to Sheol. Now, in Luke 16, there's a, an account that is given that helps us understand more about Sheol. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sore. And it came that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, also died, and was buried. Both men die. And the the, the beggar was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, if you remember what the thief on the cross beside Jesus, he asked Jesus, he said to Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? Today thou shalt be with me where? Paradise. Paradise. The Jews called paradise Abraham's bosom. Again, believers and unbelievers both went to Sheol or Hades upon death before the finished work of the cross and his resurrection. But in Sheol, there are two different areas. There is the paradise side of it, and there is also the Gehenna side of it. We're going to see that. Both men died, and death is a great leveler. Now, I want you to understand this is not a parable. Uh, It's an actual happening with actual people with literal events. This literally took place and Jesus was a witness to it. The rich man dies. And he opens his eyes in hell. Gehenna. Which which it does mean hell means Hades, but he was on the side where there was torment torture and agony and he lifts up his eyes and he looks he sees Abraham afar off in the distance he recognized him father Abraham that is on the other side with Lazarus in his lap and he cries father Abraham have mercy on me send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am torment he means I am in agony In this flame. Notice, even after death in the spirit world, we still all will retain some kind of a body. The rich man had fingers, he had a tongue, but even more than a body, he had senses. He could hear, he could taste, he could feel. But there was more than senses. He had faculties. He could think. He could reason. He could remember. And Abraham answers him and says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. This is not an out-of-body experience it is not a vision and it's not a parable it is a literal event with literal people literal places now since the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ Jesus overcoming sin death and hell there is an entirely different sequence of events. For the child of God. We will never undergo that. We will never go to Sheol. I mean, David says, David understood. He said, thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol. Even Abraham went to Sheol. Upon death he was in Sheol. When Jesus ascended, the saints, in Ephesians 4, verse 8, he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended, meaning Jesus, up on high, notice what it says. He led captivity, captive, and gave gifts unto men. And then it goes on to the part that I had I read before. When Jesus ascended, he took the saints that were in paradise with him. The saints went to live in the presence of God. But I want you to understand. And Then he says he he gave gifts unto men. I want you to understand the scene that was taking place. In the Old Testament times, when a king went into battle and he was victorious in battle he would bring back the spoils of that battle to those in his kingdom jesus did likewise because he was victorious over sin death and hell he ascended with the saints he took captivity captive and he comes and he now he gives gifts to those in his kingdom He sent the Holy Spirit. He gave you spiritual gifts as part of the victory over sin, death, and hell. Your spiritual gift this morning is the evidence that Jesus Christ was victorious over sin, death, and hell. Isn't that amazing? If it wasn't for the victorious victory of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. I wouldn't be preaching the gospel because there'd be no gift. But there's more. There's more. How do we know that the person, that the child of God who dies now does not go into Sheol? The Apostle Paul tells us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6. Therefore, we always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent with the Lord. He's saying if we're in his body, we're not going to we're not in the physical presence of God. For we walk by faith and not by sight. But notice what he says. Then we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body. And notice what he says. And to be present with the Lord. For the child of God who passes now, you do not go to Sheol. You go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That has changed because of the victory. Now, that has only changed for the child of God. The lost person still goes to Sheol. He still goes to Gehenna. It has only changed for the believer. Not for the flows who are perished. I mean really you all seen that thing that says on bumper stickers no fear. That should be the motto of Christians no fear of death. You know what we should fear. Sin. We should fear sin. Seems like we got it opposite these days we don't fear sin but we fear death ought to be just it ought to be flipped we ought to fear sin but we should not fear death let me show you some more 1st Thessalonians 4 notice what it says when someone passes there's something you can comfort them with but I would not have you be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. The reason we don't sorrow is there's a grieving process we all go through. But you know, even in the midst of grieving, there's, there's a hope, there's a peace that we have. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even, notice this, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, that he's talking about the body sleep. He is not talking about soul sleep. Will God bring with him They're in the presence of Christ? They will come back with Christ. Then it says, for we say this unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which remain, which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. It says the dead shall rise first. That's the body. Those who are coming back are claiming their new incorruptible body, the resurrection body. I don't know how that's gonna work out. I don't know if they just slip into it, zip it up. I'm not sure how it's gonna work. All I know is God Himself, the Lord Himself said, Paul, this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Bring you back to Revelations. To the scene of John. As he saw Jesus in his glorified state. He fell before him. In fear. But this morning because Jesus said I am he that liveth and was dead and behold. I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death, of hell and death. This morning we should fall before him not out of fear, but out of worship, out of worship. This morning I'm just going to give you opportunity where there's room and there's place. I'm asking you to kneel before your Lord and to worship him. For those of you that are physically can't, that's fine. You may, you may remain seated, but for those of you that could kneel before your Lord, let's kneel before our Lord and and just worship Him. Father, we just bow before you out of gratefulness and 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 praise and and glory and honor to you for the victory that you have you have have won. Lord, we recognize it was a great victory. That you openly triumphed over the principalities and the powers. You made a spectacle of them. And that because of the victory, we are the recipients of the spoils of the battle. Lord, we praise you. We we honor you. We glorify you. We only give you what is worthy of you. Worthy is the Lamb. And Father, Lord, we, we, it seems words are inadequate, what you deserve. And, and uh, but Lord, in, in, our, in the, we, our weakness, we, get, we honor you in that way. May you receive this glory. May you be blessed. And Lord, may we serve you with, 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 with zeal, with courage. Lord, may we not fear death. May we be those who live with no fear of death. But may we fear sin because of your holiness, because of your victory. You ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen.